Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 104. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and I am so thrilled that you're here spending your time with me listening to this podcast. And for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while now, thank you so much for coming back every week to be here with me. I'd also like to ask that if you haven't already, if you would just pause this episode and take just a minute to leave a five-star review with a few words about how this podcast has helped you. Your reviews are the number one thing that will help this podcast grow and reach more people who need this information. I hope that you'll support me in my mission of helping more people take back their health using Ayurveda, integrated healing, and integrative medicine. There's a link in the show notes to make it really easy for you. Okay, so today we're kicking off a new month with a new intention. For the month of November, we're going to be exploring hormones and our health. Now, I was inspired by a conference that I attended a few weeks ago in Brooklyn called The New Pause, which was filled with amazing speakers who are leading experts in women's health, reframing the discussion about perimenopause and menopause. And in addition, because I've been getting so many questions from all of you about hormonal health, we will be discussing nervous system regulation, thyroid health, diabetes, and women's hormonal health all month. So today, to kick off our discussion, I'm joined by my mentor, colleague, and friend, Dr. Amy Wheeler, to discuss polyvagal theory and its connection to Ayurveda and yoga. In our discussion, Dr. Amy and I discuss the three primary states of the nervous system and the science of feeling safe to regulate the nervous system. We also dive into the health-supporting effects of connection and therapeutic alliances and the detrimental, or as I like to say, health weakening effects of loneliness on health. Be sure to stay until the end of our conversation where Dr. Amy also shares transformative Ayurvedic and yoga practices to reprogram your nervous system and enhance your overall well-being. So let's get right into it. I'm so happy to share with you my conversation with Dr. Amy Wheeler about polyvagal theory and using Ayurveda and yoga for nervous system regulation as we explore hormones and our health. Hi, Amy. How are you, my dear? I'm very well, and I'm so happy to see you. Oh, and I'm so, so happy to see you. Thank you for being here again with me on the podcast. I just always love talking to you and learning from you. And I think that you just have so many interesting ways and profound ways to describe things. And I was reading something that you had sent in a newsletter about polyvagal theory and how it relates to Mm -hmm. Ayurveda. And I emailed you back or texted you actually and said, we need to talk about this on the podcast. And so let's jump in, you know, talking about the science of polyvagal theory Ayurveda and how it affects 
our hormones kind of like, let's try and we'll try and tie that as much as we can, but let's, we can. all right, confidence. sounds good. So let's start by talking about polyvagal theory and you know, what is it exactly? Mm. So a gentleman named Dr. Stephen Porges has been studying this for decades and it all began with him. He and his wife, actually Sue Carter, watching little tiny babies and how their nervous systems would function. And he came to understand that our nervous systems function best when we feel safe within ourselves, but also safe within relationship. And so that was kind of the start of it. And over all of these decades, he's shown that your nervous system has three basic ways that it operates. And what I think is fascinating about this is he and his wife, Sue Carter, came up with this not knowing about Ayurveda or yoga or Sankhya philosophy. And the way the two mirror each other is incredible. So I always say when we see something from two completely different angles and they say the same thing, there's probably some truth there. So would you like me to tell you about the three states of the nervous yeah, system? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I just want to you know jump in and say is that you know this is about obviously polyvagal. It's about the vagus nerve, okay? And the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It actually in Latin means wandering. And it is responsible for safety, survival, relaxation. It's part of the autonomic system. And honestly, that is the way I learned about it in medical school, which was you have two parts of the autonomic system, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, and that's how our body responds. So polyvagal theory actually expands upon the vagus nerve and how it is involved in all of these responses and actually, you know, sort of makes it so much more complete of an understanding, I think. And so I just wanted to put that out there as a, a basis of what we're talking about. So well, can I add to that yeah. really briefly now? So the whole field of psychology has always kind of assumed that everything's top down. We think our way through cognition and get our body to relax. With this emphasis on the vagus nerve and how one nerve innervates so many different organs of the body, they have come to understand that it's actually the information from the organs going up to the brain that has the most influence on how stressed out we are. So I think that's phenomenal because that means healthcare or mental healthcare is embodied. It's not happening from the neck up. 80% of the information is coming from the body to the brain. Only 20% is coming from the brain to the body. So that's why this has been not just a paradigm shift in psychology, but it's given so much credibility to things like yoga and somatics and different things that are more embodied. Right. And it's it's also giving, which, you know, this point is so important and the other thing to expand on what you're saying is that we also hold emotions in our body. And so this mm. all connects together, the thoughts that we're thinking, the feelings that result, where it is in our body then has an effect on our nervous system, right? And these are things we've known in Ayurveda and yoga for thousands of years. And it is like you said, so exciting when there is science and data and research that is showing how this is true. Because as 
you know, science geeks, it's, it's really great to have that to sort of evidence of what we're teaching you and I specifically in the work that we do. So anyway, so let's go back to the three parts of the polyvagal theory system, you know? So the three main ways that your nervous system acts, and there are combinations of these, but let's just stay with the three. The first one is when you are feeling relaxed, we say that you're in your parasympathetic nervous system, which is characterized by like normal heart rate, normal muscle tone, a a sense of well-being, a sense of openness, engaged, curious, creative, hopeful, wanting to connect with other people. And Stephen Porges named that the ventral vagal pathway, which you don't have to know the names, but just to say, you're basically in a really relaxed, happy state. And I guess we'll give the yoga equivalent of that in a few minutes. Second state is what we call a mobilized state where you're kind of in your sympathetic nervous system. You're revved up, you're stressed out, maybe you're anxious, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your hormones begin to become affected, which we're going to talk about today. Increased muscle tone leads to injuries, that type of thing. And this is could be when you're you're kind of just feeling a little more alert, a little more awake, energized, active, you could be in still a happy state. It could be a, a good thing, but it could also be like, ooh, this is becoming a little bit too much for me to handle. I, I don't know if I have the inner resources to be able to handle what's coming at me right now. And so it can range from, wow, this is fun and playful and got this to, oh my gosh, I'm in fight or flight. I, I'm very fearful right now. So there's kind of a, a spectrum when we look at the the sympathetic arm where, and I think we all move in and out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Even moment by moment. Mm-hmm. And those two first parts that you talked about, the ventral or front vagus complex and the sympathetic system are the two that most of us learn in school and medical school, et cetera. It's this third part that is sort of the key to all of this, I think, Right which is the next part you're going yeah. to talk about. Yeah. So the third one is feeling completely immobilized. And they call this the dorsal vagal pathway. And it's basically when you have gotten so high up into your sympathetic nervous system that you freeze and you can't think, you can't move, you can't talk, you can't, I mean, to varying degrees, but your muscular system goes into freeze, everything tightens up. And here's the fascinating part. You're actually dropping down into a part of your parasympathetic nervous system that is like, a, say, a cat and a mouse. When the cat looks like it's going to attack the mouse and the mouse knows that things are not going its way, the mouse goes into this immobilized state. And it's just a biological thing that happens. And the cat thinks, oh, this, this mouse is no longer living plays around with it. But the same thing happens to us. We go so far down into our parasympathetic nervous system to feel safe and to basically play dead. Our heart rate goes down, our muscle tone goes down, our energy goes down. We, you know, we just crash. Now, if, you know, that's on a spectrum too, you may not go that far down. You may just go into depression, unhappiness, loneliness, hopelessness. So, but the bottom line is you don't feel you don't feel safe. So what's so interesting about that is that the dorsal or back vagus complex, right, 
this is actually the vagal nerve and the parasympathetic system that is freezing you. What we used to think of as under control of the sympathetic nervous system exclusively, it's actually the vagus nerve, which is part of the parasympathetic nervous system that freezes us to protect us. And so it's actually such a key piece of this. It's not just the sympathetic nervous system. It's the vagus nerve that's involved, which I think is why all of the things that we do in Ayurveda and yoga to help shift that vagus nerve or turn it on basically to shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic helps us so much in healing, in relaxation, in like sort of just lowering the anxiety level, the stress level in our body. I find that really interesting. The other thing that, you know, I was reading a little bit about polyvagal theory and, you know, Stephen Porges also described this as a ladder, like that you go down and that like the top of the ladder is the ventral or front vagus nerve, right? And that collect, connects to the organs that are above your diaphragm. It's sort of like how you face the world. That's why it's front facing. And then the second part on the ladder is the sympathetic nervous system. And then down at the bottom of the ladder, and it's also the most ancient of the system, part of our nervous system is the dorsal or back vas vagus complex. And that actually, you know, connects from the diaphragm down to the organs that are below. And what's interesting is that the three of these are trying to achieve balance in our body all the time, which really ties into Ayurveda so beautifully because that's what we're trying to do in Ayurveda, right? And it's when the ventral part is working well that the other two kind of quiet down, right? And so part of this is really trying to get us to learn how to tap into our vagus nerve, really. And in a way, control it or affect it, right? That's what we're trying to do to help with all of these emotional issues that we might be having in the world that are then affecting our health. So I just went on a tangent, but I just really like that, that image of a ladder as a way to think about it, you know, that you really want to stay at the top of the ladder and really be trying to engage that ventral dorsal, sorry, that vent. You, that you want to stay at the top of the ladder and really engage the ventral vagal complex as much as you can. I agree. And, and the way that we realize that we're not doing that is that we no longer feel connected to each other and maybe our legs feel hollow. I mean, when you talk about the dorsal vagal pathway and the lower body and all the organs below the diaphragm, it literally goes numb. And if you think about it, if you're in a very stressful situation, like you can't fight, you can't run, you can't, your legs have gone hollow. And I think, you know, in yoga, especially we talk about not feeling grounded. Well, we don't feel grounded because we're immobilized in that dorsal vagal pathway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just, it's so fascinating to think about it this way, because I feel like when I started reading about polyvagal theory and really understanding it, so much started to click for me of sort of the missing piece <laughs> of why it wasn't as simple as parasympathetic and sympathetic. Like there's something missing there. And how does the vagus nerve fit in? And this is really explains that. So, okay. So now let's talk about how this relates to Ayurveda. And I'm going to let you do that because you are really learned in this area. Well, you know, I think Ayurveda 
has words for it. And then yoga philosophy has words for it. And because I'm a yoga therapy person, I'm going to use the words that Patanjali talks about in the yoga sutras. And there's very similar words in Ayurveda. So the, the relaxed parasympathetic nervous system, when we're in this ventral vagal pathway, that is similar to what we call sattva in yoga, where we feel full of light as in radiance. We feel light as in light as a feather. We feel balanced. We feel kind, open, we have clarity, we have good awareness, we feel well, we feel inspired. So, you know, when you're in a good place in your nervous system, that's the same thing that yoga has been talking about for thousands of years. We just call it sattva. Mm -hmm. Should I go on to the next one? Yeah, absolutely. Please. When we're in that more mobilized state, what we call sympathetic nervous system, where we're kind of, you know, more activated in in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, we call that rajas of the mind. There's energy, there's change, there's passion, it's dynamic. There could be agitation, excitement, movement. A lot of times we have an attachment to a certain outcome or, or maybe even our ego kind of gets involved. So it's not always a great thing. Um, and so that, you know, the word rajas in yoga is connected to mobilized in polyvagal theory. And then the third one is the state of tamas in yoga or tamasic. And what that means is that we're feeling a little dark, we're feel, feeling contracted, heavy, inactive. Maybe there's a feeling of lethargy or inertia. You do kind of feel more stable and steady because nothing's moving. And it can even feel like you're obstructed, like there's just no going anywhere. And that is obviously connected to the third state that Stephen Porges laid out of being immobilized, the dorsal vagal pathway. So I just want to say again, how incredible is it that he came up with this watching babies, but yoga has explained this for thousands of years. I, I'm just in awe of I that. Know. And what I think is so interesting also is that, you know, sattva, the first state that you talked about is that balanced state. It's when you're in that ventral vagal complex, right? And it's not like that is the end all be all. Yes, you want to stay there as much as you can. But I think it's important to, you know, point out that the other two parts of the the vagal system, right? The sympathetic nervous system and the dorsal vagal system, those are both also very important when they are modulated at a right rate, right? When when we're constantly in that state and it's and it's like so high, that's when the problems start. But those systems are there to help us stay safe. They're there to protect us, right? To help us survive and help us, you know, stay alive. That's really what they're for. But the problem is, is in this modern world, we're always in those states. (laughs) And we're in those states to such a degree that our balance is so off, right? You know, and in yoga therapy and Ayurveda, we talk about, you know, trying to achieve balance, not as some state of nirvana, but this idea of, you know, trying to come back somewhere closer to the middle so that we can be in this balanced state that feels at ease in our bodies and our minds, right? And so I think that, you know, it's important that, you know, this state of rajas and tamas, it's not something that is negative or positive. It's just there. It's a state and it describes, again, something that is normal and protective but also can be out of balance and then abnormal and not protective. 
if that makes sense. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. My, my yoga teacher would say, we want to use the right one at the right time. We want to be more tamasic and heavy and lethargic to go to sleep at night. We want to be a little more alert and awake and sympathetic to give a great podcast. When I'm having lunch with my husband in a few minutes, I want to be more socially engaged or sattvic. So it's just using the right one at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good example. So good. Does this actually, you know, I mean, it's bringing up Ayurvedic concepts. Does it actually kind of relate to Ayurveda or would you say it's more? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way that I see it related is in yoga philosophy, we call it Rajas Tamas Sattva. And in Ayurveda, we might call it Vata Pitta Kapha, right? So that, that's where the, the words are just different, but it's the exact same concepts. The Rajas in yoga could be Vata or Pitta or both. The Tamas in yoga would be Kapha. And in both Ayurveda and yoga, we might say sattva is the absence of these imbalances. It's what's left when you get rid of too much vata or get rid of too much pitta or get rid of too much kapha. When you pacify those things, you're left with this beautiful state of, you know, sattva. So it matches up well. It's almost easier to show with it like a Venn diagram mm-hmm. kind of chart. But right. I think you got the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Okay. So now we've kind of gotten through, you know, the polyvagal theory and now, you know, the yoga therapy or the yoga philosophy perspectives and connected them. So how do we, you know, let's, let's give some more examples maybe. I think that would be helpful. You know, so what does it mean to be in that sattva balanced space of harmony, you know, the social engagement? How does that show up in how we are in the world? Yeah, I think, you know, the idea of a really healthy nervous system, what we call high vagal tone or good heart rate variability or sattva, however you want to call it, is that you kind of hover around this state of balance, meaning you go up a little bit and you do some activity, whether that's mental, emotional, physical activity, and then you come down a little bit and you rest and recover and get back to balance. And then you go up. And so a healthy nervous system is not one that's just sitting in parasympathetic all of the time where it's just always at rest. And in fact, if you get too much of that, your nervous system becomes unhealthy and inflexible. So this idea of just what I call having mini breaks throughout the day where you do something and then you rest and then you eat and then you rest and then you work and then you rest and then you exercise and then you rest. And it just allows your nervous system kind of flow throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And then so how would you describe the next sort of rajas and sort of that that state of of how that shows up for us? You know, I, I just gave a yoga nidra and the way that I described it in the yoga nidra was it's like a sailboat with with the the sails and the wind is just pushing on those sails and it is just cruising down the water with no stop in sight. That's how I see Rajas. Like once our mind gets going on that hamster wheel, it is really hard to get off the hamster wheel. It just takes on a life of its own, just like the wind in the sailboat and you just go off in some direction. And so, you know, figuring out how to get off that, out of that Rajas state 
to pull yourself back into a more balanced state, it's really hard. And then you, you throw on top of that the caffeine and mm-hmm. headlines. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. And so it's like those loops or patterns, right? How do you interrupt the pattern that you might be or the loop that you might be in, right? Whether it's just going from task to task to task, to, from thought to thought to thought, or perseverating on one thought loop, right? It's like, how do you interrupt that? Because again, you know, in a healthy nervous system, having rajas, having activity is actually productive. You know, it's how you get stuff done, right? It's how you show up. It's how you protect yourself, all those things. But it's when it's in a loop and it doesn't stop and it doesn't have that sort of balance of going up and down and up and down, like you were describing, that's when it can become problematic, right? Yeah, we get stuck in the on position. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly that. It's like the the switch is just stuck in on. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, another way to think about it is that your foot is always on the gas in a car. You know, you're just revving the engine. Right. Boom, 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 and kind of getting nowhere. But you just keep revving it without any stopping, right? That's why we have, you know, it's so interesting in so many of the things in the world. We have we have both in the car. We have an accelerator and a brake for a reason so that we can go to come to some kind of balance and cruise along the, you know, the road at a good pace. So, okay, so let's talk about the third one, which is thumbus, you know. So how does that show up for us in, in our behavior? I just had this happen. So I had been in a state of rajas for about two weeks doing a lot of really intense project projects. And then on Saturday, I taught for eight hours straight. And by the end of the day, I had fallen down so deeply into Thomas, not just in my mind. My mind went into complete brain fog. It shut down. Mm -hmm. It was not having one more thing. But my whole lower body, from my back to my hips down my legs, was in such pain that I literally couldn't get out of bed on Sunday. Like I was like, I guess I'm just going to lay here. Right. My body went into this immobilized state to tell me look, you've been in Rajas way too long and you're going to lay here and we're going to create pain in your body until you listen. (laughs) This was just a few days ago, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's like, you know, running a marathon and then just collapsing at the end. Right. And so, and I really think that this, you know, image of the vagus nerve controlling you know, the organs above the body, that's the ventral front facing complex. And then, you know, the, the dorsal is the vagus nerve connected to the organs below the diaphragm, because it also shows up in how our body actually physically responds, right? So when that, you know, when that dorsal vagus nerve gets activated, we get frozen. We can't move our legs that can get us out of a situation. They just become heavy. It's sort of that freeze, like you're describing, of what you experienced. My my quadriceps and my gluteals just feel frozen. They just, the muscle contraction is so tight. They feel cold to the touch Mm -hmm. and they just don't want to move. Yeah. I think that's probably, you know, a common experience. I know I experience that all the time. So that's really helpful to think about it that way. Okay. So now how does this all relate to hormones? Let's go to the third, the Mm. next deep level. So, you know, I always, I've been taught by some of my teachers that there's many levels of truth and that, you know, you learn the first level, then you go to the second and then you go deeper. So we're kind of going, we're diving deep into this. So let's talk about that. 
So what a lot of people don't understand is that most of the balance of all the systems of your body, whether it's digestive or cardiovascular or endocrine or immune, it doesn't matter. Most of them are driven by nervous system activity. And what I mean by that is if your nervous system is in balance, your digestive system will be in balance. Your cardiovascular system will be in balance. You won't have high blood pressure. You'll go to the bathroom with ease and you'll, you'll have regular bowel movements. Your immune system will function well. It will attack the things it's supposed to and not attack the things it shouldn't be attacking. So every system of your body, if your nervous system is in sattva or ventral vagal, all the other systems function well. And this is why doctors say that 70% of our illness is caused by stress because it all boils down to what's happening in your nervous system. It affects your menstrual cycles. It affects your skin. It affects everything. So if we can use this yoga knowledge and this polyvagal theory knowledge to learn how to bring ourselves back into balance in the nervous system, our hormones are going to come back into balance. And while most of us want the quick fix and we want to do the bioidenticals or whatever the newest thing is, I'm not against that. I think Western allopathic medicine actually has some really cool things out there, but let's also do the work to bring your nervous system into balance. Right, right. What do you think of that? No, I absolutely 100% agree. It's actually something that I've been thinking very deeply about, you know, through this healing journey that I've been on the past, you know, seven, eight months. And by the time that, you know, the listeners will hear this, this will be in November, which is, you know, a couple of weeks away from when recording this. But I've been thinking a lot about this idea of, you know, these things that we do to balance our nervous system, right? To balance our microbiome, whatever system it is that you're trying to help because you know that there's some imbalance. It is the little things that add up and help to protect your health. And then the integration comes when you can keep with those habits with those little things that you do on a daily basis that come from Eastern medicine, from Ayurveda, yoga. And you put on top of that, the technology, the modern science of Western medicine, and you integrate the two, that is where the power is. And I have really, really come to understand that in such a personal, deep level that I have never experienced. Because, you know, again, I am a thinker, you know, a teacher, a scientist. And so it's a lot of it has been up in my head. And then I've also been a yoga therapist and I'm, you know, doing all these things which are in my heart. And yes, they've connected. I think this process has really connected the two in a very, very deep and very profound way. And that connection is not going to get lost. It's like, you know, the signals aren't, you know, sort of just weak, they're really strong. And so this integration. I think is so important. Um, and this is why, you know, when I wrote my first book, The Health Catalyst, I wrote in there that, you know, this is the things that we teach you in Ayurveda and yoga, yoga therapy is about handing the prescription pad back to you, right? So that you can start to do these things on a daily basis to really affect your health and really to control the stressors and the stress response. And then everything else that happens, like you were describing, Amy. That is the power. That's the power of these, these healing systems, right? It's why all my colleagues in Western medicine 
write on their prescription pads, go to yoga. <laughs> it's become, you know, it's something that they always prescribe. This, there's a reason. So I think this integration piece is, is really, really important that you're talking about. Yeah, there's, I think you and I were talking the other day about how these ancient methods of lifestyle management are preventative in nature. And after you said that, I was thinking, you know, oftentimes we're at what I call maximum allostatic load, meaning we are carrying around a hundred pound backpack. Life is so full. It's so stressful. We've taken on too much with kids and jobs and all of it. And so that high allostatic load carrying around that hundred pound backpack all day, every little thing can just throw your whole system off, your hormones off, whatever it is, your microbiome. It doesn't take much to throw you off when you've got that big allostatic load in your life. So what we're talking about is how do we take down that allostatic load? How do we make it feel like you have a three pound backpack on? So that if you get knocked a little bit in life, everything doesn't break loose. You don't end up with fibromyalgia. You don't end up with really crazy hormonal hot flashes and you know, getting wet three times a night in the bed, um, that instead of looking at the, the manifestation and trying to, you know, decrease those symptoms, can we go back and do some preventative stuff to just bring you down into a state of sattva more often, a state of ventral vagal more often? Yeah. And that's, and it's protective. And I think that's what you and I have learned, right? Yeah, we both have learned that. We both have had our own, you know, individual cancer journeys in the past two years. You know, we're both teachers. We both have been doing this for a long time. And so this idea of Ayurveda and yoga being protective of our health has come through so clearly for me. Not just preventative. Yes, that's great. It feels a little far away, but it's protective. Every day it is protecting you and it's protecting you when the shit hits the fan and you get a cancer diagnosis, or you get some other chronic illness, it's exactly what you described, Amy. It has brought, it helps to bring that allostatic load down. You still have it. I mean, again, it's not like you can bubble wrap yourself. I always say this on this podcast. People have heard me say this, like probably in every episode that, you know, you can't bubble wrap yourself and, and, you know, protect yourself from all the stressors. What you can do is learn how to deal with the stressors so that you don't embody them. You know, we're back to embodiment. This is all connecting, right? And so let's, mm -hmm. yeah. And so let's talk about some of the ways. I think the most important thing is, you know, it's great to have all this theory to explain why this works. But I think what's really helpful for listeners is to hear, okay, well, what can I do? I get it. Now, what do I do? So what are some suggestions that you have, Amy, of, of things that people can do to help stay closer to that ventral vagal complex where they're in more sattva and more balance. Okay. So I'm going to call this reprogramming of your nervous system. And there's three main ways that we have researched to show that you can reprogram it. Now, the goal of these three ways, you know, why are we doing all this is to create physical mental, emotional, spiritual safety. So that's that's like the holy grail. How do I feel safe in my body? How do I feel safe in my mind? How do I feel safe in my relationships? How do I feel safe with the universe or God or mother nature? 
that's that's what we're going for. So the three main ways are number one, we've got all these great yoga tools, and you could also add Ayurveda tools, such as gentle asana, breathing, pranayama, meditation, chanting, visualization, mantra, mudra. And then in Ayurveda, we could have different food and herbs and lifestyle changes, right? So you've got yoga and Ayurvedic tools. And I think you probably need someone in your life to figure out which ones apply to you. It's not a one size fits all when you reprogram your nervous system. Like you're going to need individual care to figure that out. So you have to basically, you know, you can go to group stuff, but a lot of times I find that group stuff actually gets people off track. They need individualized care. So number one, the yoga and Ayurveda tool basket. The second one that helps us feel more safe is what I call the therapeutic alliance. And this is about being in connection with someone else that has a stable nervous system. Your nervous system learns from them. So if you're in relationship with a lot of people that have an unstable nervous system, your nervous system will start to go into the unstable direction. It will go into sympathetic. It will go into immobilized, right? And unfortunately, we all have friends and family and colleagues that our nervous systems don't like. So we have to paring that down, letting those friendships go, maybe changing jobs, maybe, you know, I don't know, even letting go of people that you didn't think you'd ever need to great distance from and putting yourself with people who have a healthy nervous system. First and foremost, your caregiver, whether that's your Ayurvedic person, your yoga therapist, your psychologist, you should feel safe with that person. You should feel good. And that's how you're going to heal deep relational wounds and learn how to have good communication to speak up for your needs and speak your truth. It's through the therapeutic alliance. So again, that's kind of one-on-one work. That's not easy to do in a group. And then the third way to create physical, mental, emotional, spiritual safety and reprogram your autonomic nervous system is lifestyle changes towards a more sattvic lifestyle, not packing your life so full, allowing yourself that afternoon yoga nidra, sitting down for a meal with your your friend or your spouse or your, your partner instead of eating on the run in front of the computer, going for walks in nature, getting to bed by 10 p.m., drinking hot water with lemon in the morning, that these little tiny lifestyle changes actually add up to very big trajectory shifts in reprogramming your nervous system and making you feel more safe. That was a lot. No, and that you know, and that all has a downstream effect of the nervous system becoming more balanced, which then affects every other system in the body and helps to bring that back into balance, right? So again, the stressors, including the hormones, yeah, are what cause 70% of illness. We know this. We know that that's where chronic illness, cancer, all of it comes from, is all coming from the stressors and how we're responding to them, right? Yes, are there metabolic and you know biochemical things happening? Of course, but those are also affected by our nervous system. You know, I want to, I want to go back to something that you just said, some click into something that I think is really, really important. And this idea, the second thing that you talked about to help reprogram our nervous system, which is the therapeutic alliance, because I'm also, you know, what's coming up for me, as you say that 
is yes, the alliance between you and a caregiver or a health professional that's helping you on a healing journey. But it's also, I feel, connection, right? The importance of connection with other human beings, with other people who are on the same pathway as you, who are vibrating at your, you know, somewhere like in a more positive way, um, who make you feel joyful, that make you feel safe, right? I think the connection piece is so, so big. And we, we know this in, you know, studies of the blue zones and longevity that our connection to other people, our connection to even, you know, having a purpose. These are all things that are so incredibly helpful and impactful on our health and our well-being. And there's so many studies that show this. And so that's what was coming up for me is that it's not just a therapeutic alliance. It's also the connection that happens through that therapeutic alliance. I completely agree. You know, it's funny. I tell people in our yoga therapy school that the friendships you make with your colleagues and the safety you feel is probably the most important tool to help you become a great practitioner. Why? Because most of us come from very damaged childhoods and we don't know up from down. We don't know how healthy relationships and good communication are supposed to be. And it's through a healthy sangha or community over two and a half years, hopefully, if it's an unhealthy sangha, oh my gosh, that will mess you up even more. (laughs) But if you find a good program and it's a healthy sangha and the leadership is cognizant of this, it is what reprograms not just your nervous system, but your mind to expect that people will care about me. They will empathize with me. They will want to help me meet my needs. They will support me. A lot of people never have that in life. So to get with a community that's willing to do that for each other, it's mind blowing. Right. And so the flip side of that, the other thing that's coming up now is that, you know, we know the effects of loneliness or a perceived sense of loneliness, right? We know that that has a profound effect on our health. You know, the the Surgeon General just put out an entire report on this very topic, and we'll link that in the show notes for you, about the epidemic of loneliness that we have in this country and how it affects every part of our health, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, You know how it's connected to chronic illness, because loneliness is a stressor right? It comes back to stress. It's a stressor and it puts you into this mode of overly needing to survive, to protect yourself, right? Again, when you're not in that sort of hovering around that balanced state in the middle of that sattva and you're in, you know, a little bit of this rajas place, right? Of feeling unsafe, right? Um, And feeling like you need to just survive, that is going to affect your nervous system. That is going to affect, you know, and then have the downstream effects. So I think, you know, the second point that you brought up was really, really important, the therapeutic alliance, you know, for both the connection, but then the flip side of the loneliness that people can feel. We can feel lonely in our own family. We can feel lonely in a room with our own spouse. We can feel lonely with our best friend if we're not feeling connected. So it's not about having people around us. It's about having people around us that get us, love us, want to nourish and support us. That's the key. Mm -hmm. No, that is a brilliant point you just brought up. 
that you have that feeling of connection is what helps with loneliness, right? It's not being, it's not the alone part. It's the connection part, right? That's, that's the key there. Yes, absolutely. I'm like letting that like sit with me because that's, that's pretty profound what you just said. (laughs) Thank you for that. And then I want to dive into, you know, the third point of lifestyle. You know, the first one with, you know, all the Ayurveda and yoga tools, you know, we, we both talk about that on, you know, each of our podcasts, you know, Amy has a podcast that'll be linked in the show notes for all of you. We both have books and websites and, you know, also for all of you, Amy has so many, so many resources on her website. It is, is just like so much knowledge so many things for you to explore. So make sure you check out her website if any of this is interesting to you and you want to go deeper. But the third point that you made about how to reprogram your nervous system, you know, with these lifestyle pieces, what's coming up for me is, again, is this profound sort of realization I've had is that it is all the little things that you think are insignificant that add up and are protective of your health. Because I will tell you from my own experience, and I know I've talked about this on you know earlier episodes in October on this podcast, is that it is those little things that add up and will protect your health. Because for me, I am absolutely 100% convinced that the the way that I was able to you know go along this healing journey with cancer for the past year is a reflection of my having all those little things that I've done on a daily basis for years and years. I know that I had all the symptoms and the side effects and the fatigue and the, you know, metallic taste in your mouth, you name it, I had it. And I also know that I bounced back from it a lot better than most people that I've read about, that I've met, you know, again, it's all relative, but I just from my own experience can say that with such conviction that the lifestyle, these lifestyle practices that we teach you, they seem so insignificant. You know, drinking warm water in the morning, it's like, what's that going to do for me? Right. Or, you know, removing the toxins first thing when you wake up, scraping your tongue, you know, rinsing out your eyes, you know, doing a neti pot, you know, oil pulling, all of these things, right? Meditating, even for five minutes, right? These are all things that feel really small that I can promise you they're really big. They all add up. Yes. Right. I'm, I'm just thinking, um, you know, my, my beloved dog passed away a couple of weeks ago and I used to take him on two 15 minute walks every day, outdoors, under the sunshine, under the trees, smelling fresh air, feeling happy that he was having such a good time. And when he passed two weeks ago, I stopped walking out there twice a day because he wasn't bugging me to go walk. That's why my back went out. It's no small thing. I never considered that exercise. It it was just kind of a stroll, but that break and connecting to nature and breathing fresh air and being happy twice a day was keeping my back happy. Yeah. Yeah. Just that little walk. Yeah. So it's all those tiny little things that we don't even think are really doing Mm -hmm. anything. Right. And and those walks were also resetting your circadian rhythm, which controls all your hormones, right? Because you're out in the sun, in the natural light and getting that natural light into your retina. So again, we come back to modern science that's proven that getting morning sunlight from something as simple as a walk can profoundly, profoundly impact your health, right? And so this is the stuff that just like blows my mind. 
is so interesting. It's why I do the work I do. It's why I do this podcast because, you know, talking to people like you, experts like you, who have really thought about this and researched it and connected the dots for all of us. I mean, it's such a gift, you know, it's such a gift. So is there anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap up? I guess one last thing is, you know, around equity and inclusion. And the thing is, most of these things we're talking about are free. They're common sense. You can get up in the morning and take a 10-minute walk and gently look at the sun. You can boil some hot water. You can, I mean, people have been doing this for thousands of years and not everyone has had, you know, large amounts of money, right? So I just want to say that because I think it's important for people to recognize how much control they have over these kind of preventative wellness activities throughout your day. We can all hopefully go lie down in our bed, you know, or take a nap in your car at lunchtime or whatever it is you do, but we have to get on a regular schedule. I was talking to my friend this morning and and basically we're saying, okay, we're both off of our schedule. What do we need to do to get back on it? And most of it doesn't cost us. She, she made a joke. She said, I have $125 gym membership that I'm not using. <laughs> and she said, I also have workout equipment at home. Right. So it's really like, go get some workout equipment at a garage sale and work out at home. You don't need the gym membership, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are all simple, simple things that we can do to really reprogram our nervous system. I really like how you've said that, you know, reprogramming our nervous system because it's not, again, to make you feel bad or like that you're doing something wrong. That's living in this modern toxic world that we live in that is on. 24 7, 365 days a year, like at all hours. And there's no breaks unless you put them there, unless you, you know, impose them. And then the other thing, you know, about the, the routine, I think that that's so important is just finding a routine that works for you. And again, there's so much knowledge out there about the things that will really help optimize a routine, trying to sync it up with the path of the sun through the sky, you know, morning and night sort of things. There are activities that are better suited for morning and daytime and night and, you know, sleeping. That's, that's just the way it is. If you can start to get into that rhythm, help your nervous system profoundly because your nervous system actually knows what to expect and feels safer. That's what a routine does at the end of the day. Beautifully said. And that impact your hormones too. Yes. Getting in a routine. Mm -hmm. So your nervous system knows what to expect and it sends happy signals to your hormones. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, that feels like a good place to end. I know we could keep talking and maybe we'll do another episode. <laughs> I know we will. You've already been on the podcast a few times. So I would love yeah. to have you back for, you know, we'll do another topic on something that's really interesting. But Amy, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. And I want you to come on our podcast, The Yoga Therapy Hour. So <laughs> I will do that. That's what I need. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll happen soon. It'll happen soon. But thank you so much, Amy. I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you, Avanti. It's a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. 
I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.